Welcome in. Happy Monday. Hope you had a nice weekend. We got a lot to do today, and we got some big news coming out of the UAW and the discussions with the big three. Obviously, last week we told you about the tentative agreement that the UAW struck with Ford. Well, now the roughly 56,000 rank-and-file UAW members have to ratify that deal. There would be historic wage increases, uh, a pathway for battery plant workers to join the union down the road, and even, I suppose, more exciting for union workers, Sean Faines says this is a big deal. In each individual year of this agreement, then the entirety of the 2019 agreement. This deal puts more money on the table than the 2019 agreement four times over. So when we say historic, we mean it. So right off the rip, he tells the rank and file, it's obvious you have to ratify deal this deal. This is a good deal. Then the deal today, General Motors brokering a deal that will likely follow a very similar path that the union and Ford took. The sides agreed to a 26 compounded wage interest, return of COLA, three-year timeline for top wages and increased contributions to retiree pensions and worker pensions and 401ks. Now, there were a, a number of other issues that we're going to get into. Merrick Masters will join us coming up at 218. But a deal with Stellantis, a deal now with General Motors, things are certainly going in the right direction. But There's an interesting tidbit of information that Sean Fain shared yesterday during that same broadcast on Facebook Live. And I think that this, while these negotiations were certainly about improving the the contributions to the workers, I think there is something bigger at play here, a long-term game. And now with the tentative agreements in place, I think Sean Fain finally was able to show us where the future of these negotiations are going. We'll get to that coming up at uh, 218. We'll talk about it at 235 as well. But I think it's very interesting, so we'll do that as well. Uh, They did finally catch Robert Card out in Maine this weekend. Uh, He was uh, dead uh, uh, according to sources, a self-inflicted gunshot wound. It it was a, a sigh of relief. For the community at large, because this guy was, as far as anybody knew, was out running around with weapons and obviously not stable. But another piece of information came out. CNN's got it. A member of the Maine National Guard asked police to check in on Robert Card in the weeks before the shooting, claiming that they were worried he would, quote, snap and commit a mass shooting. Now, officers responded, tried to get in contact with Card on September 16th, but they could never make contact with him. And so I think that, again, begs the question, as more and more information swirls around this case. And look, the the Saturday night press conference or Friday night press conference, I believe it was, um, Police didn't really answer questions. Now, they had made the discovery earlier in the day, and they they put everything together and 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 came out with, with a press conference. But how long was he there? What is the extent of the injury? How did he? I mean, there were a lot of questions that they didn't answer. And again, early in the investigation. But I think that's going to clear up a lot of the after 
aftermath of the mass shooting, mass shootings. But there are a lot of questions still beforehand. And I think this further uh, gets those that, that question train a rolling. Because why was this guy able to keep his weapons after being institutionalized? Why now numerous people saying that this guy wasn't right, wasn't right. And still nothing was done. So, again, hopefully we'll get questions to those those answers, the, the, the answers to those questions. Uh, meanwhile, the Israeli, Israeli military says that they have killed four prominent Hamas operatives as part of its expanded ground operations inside the Gaza Strip. The Israeli Defense Force saying they've destroyed terror infrastructure, including tank, anti-tank missile launchers and other launch paths. Uh, meanwhile... The IDF saying that they've struck a terror cell in Lebanon that was firing mortars into Israel. Now, Israel says that it was a trio of anti-tank missiles that was launched into uh, or near a kibbutz in the northwest corner of Israel. More towards the Mediterranean Sea and Lebanon, very upper corner of the country. Uh, And so now, again, I, I think that when you... Look at it, you step away a little bit, step away from the horror and the, the, the atrocities that are being committed. Step away. And you, you, you see almost an organization amongst those that are opposing Israel. Hamas carried out the initial attack. We were seeing uh, rockets come in from Hezbollah and now another terror cell from Lebanon as well. I, I, I think you just start to put these puzzle pieces together and say, well, geez, if they weren't all in cahoots, if they weren't all talking before October 7th in the in the lead up to this, it's just a, a heck of a coincidence. But I think there is a certain level of coordination here. We'll talk to Danny Davis coming up at 335. But I, I do. I believe there's a certain level of coordination. And that leaves Israel having to defend itself on multiple fronts. Speaking of this particular conflict, the Biden administration says that they are taking action to combat the alarming rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses in the United States. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona, domestic policy advisor Nira Tandon, will visit a university to hold a roundtable with Jewish students, although they didn't say what university that would be. Uh, But we have seen you've seen the videos. You've heard the audio. We played it for you here. It it is on the rise, certainly. And now the Biden administration, through some pushing of the Republicans, are going to try to address this issue. Uh, In the meantime, the Detroit Lions Hall of Fame, known as the Pride of the Lions, they get a new member tonight. When you pair that with the game, it is going to be one electric night down at Ford Field. WJR Sports Rap uh, Lomas Brown, the co-host of Sports Rap, will be inducted this evening during halftime on Monday Night Football WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne went behind the scenes with Lomas to talk about what made him who he is. And and when he found out not only that was a a fateful moment in his life that he would have played football. It's a wonderful story. And we're lucky to have him as part of our team. Marie uh, joins us. Good afternoon. Hi, Chris. So it's hard to believe, but when uh, Lomas got to high school, he had his sights on making his mark, not in sports, but in music, he wanted to be in the band. And as he remembers it, it was freshman sign-up day. I was coming out the auditorium after signing up, and somebody was like, hey. And I turned around, and I didn't know it, but it was the pro 
called me to him to him and he said, Did you sign up for varsity sports? And I was like, No. So he just grabbed me by the arm and took me back in the auditorium and he signed me up for varsity sports. So I had to wait to the end of the day to find out what varsity sports was and come to find out it was football that he signed me up for. He didn't even know what varsity sports were. Lomas grew up in Miami. He was one of four kids. His dad worked in construction. His mom for a medical supplier. He went on to receive an athletic scholarship at the University of Florida. He came to the Lions in 1985. He stayed here for 11 seasons. And even though he eventually played for a few other teams, his heart, he says, always remained here. I love it here. It's just so much here. Just the people are wonderful here. They embrace you. Um, I feel like I'm a Michigander, and, you know, it's just been perfect for me, my family, my grandkids. But he says that there is more to tell on this story. He wanted to give back, along with the Lomas Brown Foundation that gives out scholarships to students headed to college. He's deeply involved with Big Brothers and Big Sisters, Boys and Girls Club. He has scholarships at two Pontiac high schools, and he still finds the time to be an assistant football coach at Bloomfield High School. And those are just a few of the nonprofits he's associated with and has hands-on with, Chris. And I wanted to also tell you that the instrument that he played, that he wanted to be in band. Can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, It was the oboe. No. (laughs) <laughs> but no, but a trom- it was the trombone, what? which I could see him playing the trombone. Uh, see, that is probably one of the only thing aside from loving, you know, uh, uh, meat. It's one of the things that Lomas Brown and I have in common. Then we both played the trombone. How about that? Unbelievable. Did you really? You yeah. played the trombone? Not well. Oh, how awesome. Not well. You- well, I- yeah. I- I'll have I've got some stories for you, but that'll have to be for off air, unfortunately. Well, uh- <laughs> Yeah, but this is pretty amazing that this one person really, really changed his life. Well, changed his life, and he went on to have essentially a Hall of Fame career. Um, He is one talented dude. We're very lucky to have him uh, here at WJR, and and he's well-deserving of all the accolades, uh, especially tonight going into the Pride of the Lions. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to break down these UAW now tentative agreements with the big three, Stellantis, General Motors, and Ford. That's next on JR Afternoon. Over the 44 days we were on strike, Stellantis more than doubled the total value of the proposals they had on the table. At Stellantis, we not only secured a record contract, we have begun to turn the tide on the war on the American working class. And we truly are saving the American dream. That is UAW President Sean Fain uh, commenting on the Stellantis deal. But now we've got tentative deals for Ford, Stellantis, and General Motors. Merrick Masters, the professor of business at the Mike Illich School of Business at Wayne State University. And, of course, a labor expert joins us. Uh, Professor, good to have you on once again. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. You know, we talked about it last week after the GM deal, or the, excuse me, the Ford deal was announced, that it, it felt like it was just a matter of days before Stellantis and, and General Motors saw the deal and said, okay, well, that's the threshold where we got to match. How closely do you think all of these deals are to each other? Well, I would imagine on the major economic items and other matters of principle, they're very close language is similar the 
economics in terms of wage increases and other significant developments regarding tiers and in progression are in alignment with each other. You know, I think it's it's interesting here, too, because even when we didn't quite know if the Ford deal was going to have uh, battery plant production uh, put put onto that deal, there does seem to be a pathway to battery plant workers joining the union down the road. What does something like that look like? Because if these workers initially won't be union, uh, what, what what would that path look like? Well, I think you have to look at it as a gradual process in which first you have to hire in the workers and they provided a provision for as many UAW workers to be hired into those positions as possible, our former workers. Second, you have to uh, have a showing of sufficient interest to warrant majority status. This can be done through card check and or some other mechanism, perhaps a claim of majority recognition on the part of the members or if the if they hire in a majority of former UAW members, that may be another way of getting to that situation. And then um, the proposal can be made to the facility, to the company to recognize the union voluntarily at this particular site, and it will do so. And then it would be determined whether or not to cover it under the national master agreement to some extent, that's already been done if they reach this uh, particular stage. And if they're covered under the national agreement, then it has to be determined whether or not they're actually going to be covered by the same pay scales or if they're going to be other adjustments because of the special nature of the facilities. Business professor Merrick Masters at Wayne State University, labor expert, joins us. Um, you know, what else is interesting, too, and, and we're going to get into this coming up uh, at 235 a little bit more. But at that Ford announcement, Sean Fain said something that I, I thought was very interesting. And that was that this is going to be roughly a four and a half year deal. The deal is going to expire on April 30th, meaning the next day, May 1st, they will be without a contract. May 1st also happens to be May Day or Workers' Day or International Workers' Day, which commemorates the struggles of the labor movement. And he has been uh, almost uh, asking or or borderline urging other unions around the country to link up their contracts with that day to show force uh, in the power of these unions. Do you think that this was... um, that this was a plan all along in these in these negotiations or or in this particular stand up strike. But was that was that something that was premeditated, do you believe? Well, I think the desire to create linkages between the UAW and the broader labor movement and get the labor movement acting more as a team, so to speak, and contract expiration dates is one way of doing that in which they could, in effect, implement a general strike if all contracts or a large number of contracts across industries are due to expire at roughly the same time you in effect have labor calling a general strike but it's against specific companies for economic reasons and that would enhance the overall power of labor and i think they want labor to speak as one voice and act as one voice against uh, employers 
in the negotiating process of they can able are able to extract maximum leverage. So I want to tap into your business expertise now because Toyota's global sales climbed 8.3% in the third quarter this year. That is some pretty significant numbers when you consider, obviously, the strike that was just going on between the UAW and the big three. What do we expect from the company's perspective as it pertains to building these cars, maybe the price tag? Are we going to see an uptick in prices? And what does this, what did this particular strike uh, have to do with the overall landscape of autos across the country and across the world? Well, I would say in terms of your first question about the cost of vehicles, it's estimated that the labor costs could add up to about $900 per vehicle. Mm -hmm. It's a significant contract from the perspective of being lucrative. Uh, The Ford agreement estimates that it raised the price of the hourly worker, so to speak, from $65 an hour to about $88 an hour. Um, overall, it's adding about $1.5 billion to Ford's labor costs per year. You can make up for that by reducing your expenses in other parts of the business, or you can absorb them in terms of uh, having less profits. Alternatively, you can raise prices. It'll be some combination of those things. But to your second point, which I think is the really critical one, is what does the landscape look like going forward for the companies? And it is a very turbulent, uncertain landscape. The path to electrical vehicles will be much more uneven and challenging than I think most people had estimated. I think part of the difficulty is that we accepted that the customer base would readily adapt to electrical vehicles in terms of their price, not only their sticker price, but also the cost of operating and maintaining them, which has not been the case. And it's going to be difficult for the companies to get profitable until they can get volume up. And that will take more time, perhaps, than they would have thought desirable. Nonetheless, they're in this transition, and they also have a more structural problem. And I think they've got to reimagine themselves as companies and become more technology and mobility-oriented companies because Clearly, the future cannot lie in expecting there's going to be tremendous growth in North America because the uh, realities are such that the, the growth in the industry is going to take place globally, and it's also going to involve broader aspects of the mobility equation, so to speak, so that companies that are more technologically savvy and able to adapt and nimble in that regard are going to be more successful. And I think that's the way they have to reimagine themselves and plus have a larger global footprint. Merrick Masters with Wayne State University. Thank you uh, again for your time. We appreciate talking with you. Well, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. Yep, you got it. We'll talk again soon. Merrick Masters at Wayne State. In the meantime, I thought Sean Fain said something very interesting at at his press conference last night about the Ford deal. And it pertains to how long this deal is going to last and potentially reaching out to other unions to match up their deals with the UAW in a show of force for the middle class. We'll talk about that next right here on JR Afternoon. Don't go anywhere. We invite unions around the country 
to align your contract expirations with our own so that together we can begin to flex our collective muscles. If we're going to truly take on the billionaire class and rebuild the economy so that it starts to work for the benefit of the many and not the few, then it's important that we not only strike, but that we strike together. And I think that that right there from Sean Fain was a really telling remark about the way that they've structured this strike. Now, we know they've done they did things unconventionally. They didn't do the full-blown strike across the board. It would have deteriorated their strike fund. It would have been it would have been a mess, but they were targeted. They didn't tip their hat. They didn't tip their signs about where they were going next. But when they needed to to twist that knife, they did. And I think it was a very effective method. And I I can't imagine now seeing how effective it was that there would ever be a change in how the UAW would strike going forward. Now, I'm sure the auto companies will try to find a counter to that, but they didn't have it at this point. They didn't have it in their tool belt. So now going forward, I think that comment from Sean Fain is an important one. And it's not necessarily just about the UAW. And I have questions about what potentially the next deal would look like. Um, I, I, I am under the impression that with the amount that they got here, right, when you're addressing the tier issue, when you're getting more contributions to 401ks, you're getting an uptick in your pay, um, when you're seeing, you know, four and a half billion dollars of yearly impact from Ford per se, that's a lot of money. It's a big deal. But when you start looking at, we've talked about a lot of these union strikes around the country, whether it was UPS that was looming, whether it was the writer strike or the actor strike or the UAW strike, there was a sense over the last few months that the unions were, they were messing around across the board. And of course, I forgot even the the casino strike here in Detroit. I am very curious to see the impact that these unions will have if they do indeed link all of these contracts up together. Because there is certainly something to be said about when you got the numbers, you got a lot more power. You can affect more things. And to a certain extent, that I think is what Sean Fain is thinking here. I mean, this was a completely radical idea of 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 a strike in the way they did it, but it was effective. And now I think Sean Fain sees that if they can all join up together, that not only will they be able to impact a greater change, but they'll have the numbers to do it. They'll have the manpower to do it. They'll have a big chunk of of the American people to impact that type of change. And if they feel like lay a little on, they can. Now, here's, I guess, the counter to that is let's take the big three. Hypothetically, if they look at these numbers in this particular contract cycle, now, the UAW was selling it as, well, you're making record profits and we haven't gotten this type of raise since we made concessions back in 2007, 2008. Okay, fine. So we're trying to get back caught up to where we need to be. Okay. 
But then going forward, why wouldn't the union again continue to ask for what they feel like they deserve? And if profits continue to go on the trajectory that they are, although it feels like that would be asking a lot, what's not to say the UAW is going to ask for hey, about the same? Again, not that they don't deserve it, but again, from a company perspective, that's a big ask. So so now do these do these automakers look at potentially solutions that wouldn't bear a four and a half billion dollar per year increase in pay? I, I think that would be that would be my take if I were heading up a major business as the leader of a company. You were always thinking of of different ways to do things. Or down the road, what do we need to be shooting for? Where do we need to be going? I think those are all valid questions. And then I think, again, you extrapolate that and say, well, then, geez, what are all of these? What are all of these unions going to do if they match up these contracts? I think that was a much bigger deal behind the scenes, maybe, than what we were certainly led to know, led led on to believe or even know. But the fact that he came out and said it yesterday, I thought that was very telling. I thought that there was a a certain level of let's all band together and and really impact the kind of change that we're looking for. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. That's there for you. In addition, do you believe that unions now going forward, we've talked about the type of polls that are out there saying 75% roughly of the American public agree with the UAW and what they were fighting for. Do you believe that the unions in 2023, 2024, 2025, going down towards the end of this deal, are, are, are they going to have the same impact as potentially the American people view them now? Because for a while... And whether that was just on the sheer fact that states like Michigan were right-to-work states, you go down south, much of the same. But is, is, there a, is there a chance that the unions grow stronger in this day and age? Because for a while they faded. And for many years, the UAW has lost membership. But are we almost in a resurgence now of union work, of people looking at unions a different way, at people looking at unions truly like the builders of the middle class. Because I I do wonder if that's the trajectory we're on. And again, you look at the way that the American people look at unions, and maybe you do too. But there is a groundswell going on, a feeling in America that the unions are incredibly important and people feel like they... They were owed something here. And so do you feel like we are in an age of a resurgence of unions? Are our union workers, is union work going to be looked at differently in the years and months ahead? 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Let's go out to Bill in Bloomfield Hills. He kicks us off today. What's up, Billy? Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's up? Hey, um, just real quick, I, you know, in my opinion, Spain's a failure. He asked for 46, he got 25, and when he says band together, what about the Germans, the Japanese, the Koreans, 
and Tesla. He hasn't been able to get anywhere there. So when you say and likely won't, he won't. Yeah, but but what does that mean? Band together when when you got all these auto workers that are unrepresented by unions. Yeah, Bill, I don't think he's just talking about auto companies or or auto unions or auto workers. I think he's talking about unions in general. Like unions as a whole, whether you're in the food industry, whether you're in the the gaming industry, they they want to be able to inflict maximum pain and 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 get the maximum amount back if they're I mean, look, you, you do have power in numbers. If you've got a huge chunk of American union workers that all the deals are up at the same time. And what are we going to do? We're going to close everything down. Nothing's going to be open. I mean, that is that is going to be something that we're going to have to contend with. And I think that that is a is a much bigger issue that we need to talk about than than aside from the good news that we're going to get back to making cars. I think Sean Fain saying that they want other unions to link up their their contracts to four and a half years down the road on May 1st to show the might of the union worker in the United States. I think that is a big deal. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. And look, Bill, I don't, not necessarily sure that Sean Fain is a failure. I, I, I've told you since the beginning of this thing, 40-some days ago, that they were never going to get 46% wage increases. You, you ask, it's like going into your, your, your boss and asking for a raise. You don't say, well, can I have a, you know, a $1,000 raise? You go and you say, I'd like a, a, a $10,000 raise. And your boss says, ah, ha, that's not going to happen. How about four? And you go, okay, fine. So I just think that in the sense of the job Sean Fain did, I, I think he did a pretty good job on behalf of the rank and file. We'll get to your calls, your texts coming up next, 800-859-0957. Also, big football game tonight. We'll talk about it as we continue on JR Afternoon. All right, big game down at Ford Field tonight. We're going to have the Lions in town, a little Monday night action against the Raiders of wherever they're located at now, uh, the Los Angeles Raiders, uh, or excuse me, the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Well, I want to get to that just momentarily because obviously it's a party in town today, too. I want to get a caller in. Uh, Let's go to Richard. What's up, Richard? Yeah, if I was uh, president or owner of GM, Ford, or Stellantis, I would have laid off all the other people that were working and they couldn't collect unemployment or or strike benefits and just shut down the whole plant and let Fen, what's his name, Fain, mm-hmm. deal with that. How long do you think it would have taken for the people that lost their jobs? Or I'd have just fired them all. Well, look, I... I don't think that that was really on the table. Um, If you want to tell me that these people that are in charge of these companies and they are always thinking of ways to either reimagine the company, and this isn't just with auto companies, with any company, but if you're telling me that they are rethinking the way of doing business or who they hire to do business, um, I think you're probably onto something. I think that there's something to be said about companies doing what's in the best interest for the company and how to make the best products possible. I don't think that the the auto companies were in that position right now because if you lay everybody off, where do you go from there? Who do you hire to build the cars? 
Like, if if you want to tell me that there's going to be a phase out of the union over the course of the next few contracts, okay, we, we can have that discussion. Like, if they start putting different plants in different places. But there's also something to be said about being American-built, American-made, and that's what those three companies are able to say. It's what they're able to tout. And so while I have maintained throughout this strike that, you know, these companies are acting in the best interest of the companies, that's not an outlandish statement to say. Neither is it to say that there isn't really an allegiance to this area anymore. They have to do what's best for their company to make money. So if that means going somewhere else to build their cars, they they would. But then you lose some of the the... You lose the moniker. You lose some of that luster of being an American car company if you go somewhere else. But I, I look, I Richard, I believe that there are a lot of things that are discussed behind closed doors about what is best for the company and timing. I, this was not the time to fire everybody. There, there was just it was it that doesn't it doesn't resonate because who would be able to build these cars then? You have nobody in the wings ready to build these vehicles. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. David, real quick in Detroit. What's up, Dave? Hey, you know, I was listening to your questions about does this strengthen the union and what's what's this going to mean in the next couple of years mm-hmm. and pondering on that and having been a part of the union, in fact, the casino unions at one time, mm-hmm. but also having fought for right to work and standing on those steps of the Capitol when we passed it and realizing that I think 24 or 25 states are right to work states. Um, and less than 20% uh, of the workforce is actually union. Um, I, I guess my concern is, is when are we going to stop addressing what's good for the middle class union workers, what's good for the companies? When are we going to start addressing what's good for the overall economy? Because rest assured, we're going to pay for and get passed on to, you know, excuse me, the companies are going to pass on to us what they're now dishing out to the union workers. So the union workers work out good. Ultimately, the car companies will probably be all right. We're going to mm-hmm. end up paying more. Sure. My concern is, is when are we going to use that union clout to start petitioning the government to do things that stabilizes the economy that benefits all of us so we can stop talking about inflation, stop worrying about sure. these increases, and start worrying about what's good for everybody because none of that has been addressed. And I realize that's not Sean Fain's job. It's not the UAW, excuse me, their job. But at some point, if they want to get involved truly in politics, which they are, we all know they play politics, usually Democrat politics, but they play politics. If they're going to do that and truly flex their muscles, why don't we stop borrowing, excessively printing, and uh, and, and spending like drunken sailors, which starts from the government. Yeah, but David, here's the, the problem. Economy. Here's the issue with that is then you've got – that's not necessarily how the normal rank-and-file union worker thinks. I mean if you step back and think about the, the, the economics of it all, sure, they'll have an opinion on it. But they're just trying to make more money. And so whatever they feel like is going to be good for them, going to be good for their family, little Timmy, little Susie, how they can take an extra vacation every year. I mean, that's what they care about. And they'll let everything else work itself out. But I think for the most people, I mean, anybody, not even just union workers, everybody's just trying to get by. They want to know how they can make a couple extra bucks every year. And I, I think that's what it comes down to. But, yeah, if you ask people to look at it from a wider lens, they'll 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 talk about the need for x y and z on an economic level but but i think for the most part they're just they're just trying to find a way to make some more money and you're right i, I do believe the union workers are going to be just just fine 
uh, once they get back to work. David, appreciate the call. All right, big night tonight. Lions, Raiders, downtown at Ford Field. Uh, we got L- Lomas Brown going into the pride of the Lions. It's a very exciting night. Steve Courtney joins us. Uh, and we got to get back on a win track here, Stephen. Yeah, Chris, there's no doubt about it. How are you, lad? Good afternoon again, my friends. This conversation brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Performance Remodeling selected Parks Missouri as their winner of the first annual $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Performance Remodeling, yes, they're going to do it again. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com to enter to win the next sweepstakes from Performance Remodeling. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. Uh, last time out, the uh, Lions absolutely shellacked on the road by the Baltimore Ravens. It was 28 nothing uh, before our vaunted Lions got a first down. That was then. This is now. Uh, they are once again in the national spotlight. Monday night football against those Yates of Las Vegas who have issues of their own. The last time they played, they were trounced by the hapless Chicago Bears by 18 points, as a matter of fact. The concern, Chris, for the Lions tonight going into this tilt, the offensive line. We know that guard Jonah Jackson, he is going to miss his third straight game with that bum ankle. Then we find out that Frank Ragnow, the warrior center for the Honolulu Blue and Silver, he is listed as doubtful. He's been dealing with a calf and that toe situation that has uh, challenged him over the last couple of seasons. Uh, so in this campaign, and look, uh, thank goodness the Lions are relatively deep on the uh, O-line with the big uglies up front. So far, Chris, they have used seven different starting offensive line combinations, uh, and uh, it looks like that is going to continue tonight. Graham Glasgow? Uh, who uh, has got a lengthy resume at that center position, would probably move over there. Uh, they got K.O. Iwaseka. Uh, he will probably get the start at left guard. Um, but they have been through it uh, up front on that O-line. Big V, uh, the uh, normal right guard, he is listed as questionable uh, with a back. Uh, good news is the fine corner, Jerry Jacobs, uh, he's had full practice throughout this week. As a matter of fact, he is fired up, ready to go, saying, hey, we can't wait to go. We're not frauds. And the, so, aren't they de- debuting the new helmet tonight? Yes, they are, as All a right. matter of fact. Uh, that, and I can't wait to see it. It's going to be know, awesome. I, was, I, I, I love that retro Lions logo. I have always liked it, uh, so there's that. Uh, keep in mind, uh, the NFL trade deadline tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock. And again, like you mentioned, Chris, congratulations to our colleague, the, big the one, fella. the only, Lomas Brown. No, it's going to be a great night down at the uh, at the stadium. Uh, and you talked about the O-line still in the top five, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, even with all the combinations, they are an elite unit. Steve Courtney, appreciate you. We'll talk again tomorrow. All right, looking forward to it, Chris. All right, got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. All right, 3 o'clock hour. Good to have you. Still lots to do. You know, Friday we talked a lot about the gun issue on the heels of what happened out in Maine. And I, I, you know, I think we need to start operating on the level of this is the norm. This is where we're at. And where, what do we need to do to cut these numbers down? But to say that, well, laws are the answer or money towards mental health is the answer. I I can kind of prove both ways that there have been cases that none of that has mattered. And so we need to start operating on the level of, well, this is where we're at. This isn't 30 years ago. 
This isn't 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. We're in a different spot. And so now we need to start figuring out how we dig ourselves out of this hole. And while I don't have all the answers, we're going to try to find some some solutions. We'll do it at 318. We're going to talk to somebody who has invented something that could save lives. That's coming up at 318. In the meantime, obviously, big news here locally, throughout the country, wide-ranging economic ramifications, but the UAW has come to tentative agreements with Ford, Stellantis, and General Motors. And in the Ford deal, you're talking about a pretty historic deal. And that's what Sean Fain said when he made the announcement yesterday on Facebook Live. There is more value and gains for our members in each individual year of this agreement than the entirety of the 2019 agreement. This deal puts more money on the table than the 2019 agreement four times over. So when we say historic, we mean it. He's urging ratification from from union members, which is what comes next. Meanwhile, the GM deal broke today. Tentative agreement between the UAW and General Motors. And that they were the third of the big three. Now, there was an, also an interesting tidbit. We talked a little bit about it last hour, but that was the fact that Sean Fain is calling on other unions around the country, not just the UAW, to match up their four-and-a-half-year deal to an April 30th expiration and a May 1st potential strike, which is May Day. That is, of course, uh, a, the uh, you're talking about May Day, International Workers' Day, whatever you want to call it. Huge labor gains, uh, huge gains in the labor movement. That's May 1st. And so Sean Fain saying that, well, other unions need to link up with this day, I think is pretty substantial and, and a, an interesting kind of turn in these particular strikes with the UAW and the big three. Uh, the Israeli military, meanwhile, today saying they have killed four prominent Hamas operatives as part of their expanded ground operations in the Gaza Strip. The IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, saying they've destroyed terror infrastructure, including anti-tank missile launchers and other launch pads. Meanwhile, they also attacked a terror cell in Lebanon that was firing anti-tank mortars into Israel near a kibbutz in that northwest corner of Israel near the Mediterranean and, and, and Lebanon. And with all of that, we have seen an uptick in different types of rhetoric across college campuses in the United States. And now the Biden administration says that they're taking action to combat the alarming rise of anti-Semitism at U.S. college campuses this week. Now, they say that Miguel Cardona, the education secretary, in addition to Neera Tandon, the domestic policy advisor, they'll be at a university. They'll hold a roundtable with Jewish students. We don't know where they're going to go yet, what university they'll be at. But they will be embarking on on this mission to try to tackle anti-Semitism across the United States. Now, Fox News says that Jewish students across the country have faced a rise in threats, a spike in threats since Hamas attacked Israel 23 days ago. Last week at the New York College, New York City College, there were Jewish students locked inside a school library during a pro-Palestine protest. That's according to Fox. There was also a pro-Palestinian protest uh, at George Washington University's library in Washington, D.C. 
They had posted messages saying, glory to our martyrs and your tuition is funding genocide in Gaza. So the Biden administration, there were a number of Republicans that pushed back on this, saying that the administration needed to do something. And so now the administration seems like they are they are at least going to talk about this issue. We are also seeing a dwindling pool of GOP presidential hopefuls. It's been cut down. Vice President Mike Pence announced that he is suspending his campaign. The Bible tells us that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. Traveling across the country over the past six months, I came here to say it's become clear to me. This is not my time. This decision by Mike Pence comes just a couple of months before Iowa, which you look at the hierarchy here and it's pretty obvious. Donald Trump is the leader of the pack by a wide margin, some uh, 55 points ahead of Mike Pence. And so that's obviously a huge mountain to climb and Mike Pence wasn't going to be able to get it done. But you've got, according to a new Des Moines Register, NBC News, Mediacom, Iowa poll, Trump leads 25 points over Ron DeSantis. He also leads 25 points over Nikki Haley, who is on the rise. Yes, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are at a dead even 16% in Iowa. Now, again, Donald Trump is is ahead by a wide margin. Most people saying two to three, two out of three people saying that Donald Trump's legal issues are not a factor here. But still very interesting that a couple of well-known Republicans still behind the pack are getting more and more support. Uh, In the meantime, less than 48 hours after the UAW struck a deal, At the GM Springs Hill Assembly plant, the announcement of the two sides have reached an agreement six weeks long uh, in this strike. And it certainly comes at a good time. People needing to get back to work. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne joins us with some of those details. Hi, Marie. Hey, Chris. So this brings to a close a contentious chapter of labor disputes between the UAW and the Detroit Three. Negotiators working into the early hours this morning in an effort to come to an agreement. And one of the thorniest issues, apparently, the automakers joint venture battery plants. That's what was they were stuck on. The UAW already has that tentative deal with Ford and Stellantis, as you've been talking about. It is believed the tentative agreement between GM and the UAW will match the financials of the Ford deal. We're talking about a 25% wage increase across the life of the four-and-a-half-year contract. It'll expire April 30th, 2028. There is a reinstatement of the 2009 cost-of-living adjustment formula. That's the same profit-sharing formula reached with Ford and a three-year progression to that top tier uh, and uh, end-of-tier wage scales by the end of the contract. That was something that was very important to the UAW. The deal that reportedly will allow for the joint venture workforce to vote on unionizing future plants, and then they can decide if they want their own contract or to be part of this master contract. The UAW National GM Council will vote 
Uh, their vote is expected later this week, and, and they have to approve this, of course. Then it goes to the local leaders to discuss with general members who will then vote to approve the uh, or reject the deal. So we're looking at a couple of weeks here for this GM deal to go through. UAW President Sean Fain outlined the top items on that Ford contract Sunday night. You've been talking about it, Chris, and looking very closely at what are the, some of the things that he talked about uh, during the negotiations and what they considered their wins. Well, you know, I, I think that we, we had a caller call in that say that, that Sean Fain didn't win here because they didn't get close to what they were asking for. And, and I argue the, the opposite. I mean, they got huge numbers across the board and, you know, the 48 or 46% increase in wages was never going to happen. You, you start high and then try to find some middle ground. That's what they did. And I, I think that's was really effective in these different strikes. You mentioned the, the Spring Hill assembly plant that they struck just uh, before this deal was, was done with General Motors. So I, th- I would say that this was a very effective job by Sean Fain and the UAW. Yeah, they also asked for that 32-hour work week. They didn't get that right. either. Of course not. But, yeah, so you you know, you know shoot for the moon and you hope to land somewhere in between. And I think that that's what they did here. And, you know, one of the theories is that um, they, by winning this contract, they're sending a signal to other workers to say, hey, you might want to unionize. You might want to come along on this train because it's pulled out of the station and we are – uh, we're winning what we need to have as workers. So that's one of the, the conclusions that some people are coming to about all this. Marie Osborne, good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. All right, coming up next, what are some of the solutions to these mass shooting problems? We'll try to figure it out and potentially add one solution to the mix coming up next on JR Afternoon. All right, I'm going to call a quick audible here while we get our next guest lined up for you. I want to just quickly pivot to what's happening in Israel because there the the ground in, uh, incursion is underway and there has been some movement the Israeli military saying they've killed four prominent Hamas operatives as part of their operations in the Gaza strip they've destroyed different infrastructure uh anti-tank missile launchers they've attacked part of that that trail system underground, the tunnel system that has been so effective for Hamas in launching attacks towards Israel and and trying to do it in a way that is the least invasive and harmful to civilians inside the Gaza Strip. That is something that uh, almost anybody in a war combat situation is trying to avoid. Lieutenant Colonel Danny Davis, retired, the senior fellow and military expert with Defense Priorities, joins us. Uh, Danny, first of all, it's good to have you again. Thank you. Thanks for being back. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing in, in terms of this ground attack by the Israeli forces. Well, what I see is so far is that Israel's given every indication that they expect this to be a long, brutal, and methodical battle. Uh, they're not rushing in like a sort of shock and awe kind of thing and trying to just, you know, make a big splash. They understand that Hamas has, the, you know, all these places probably booby-trapped. They have uh, other kinds of traps set up for, for IDF. They want to draw them into some places to where they IDF doesn't can't use its technology advantages, and, and it gets to be just an infantry-on-infantry infantry fight. Uh, that's what the Hamas wants, but the Israel op- – I perceive it looks to me like that they're getting ready to just methodically move uh, from the northern part of the strip and just mow through the whole thing and understand that it could take months 
they may literally just dismantle every building uh, that they see because it's really expensive in manpower to try and clear the buildings, you know, one-on-one. Whereas we saw even some in the, the, the Russia-Ukraine war, uh, very oftentimes Russia would just pummel the buildings and destroy them piece by piece instead of having to clear them. And it, I, I wonder if Israel's going to do the same kind of thing. We've seen reports that one of the bases that Hamas uses is located underground underneath the main hospital in Gaza, the largest hospital in Gaza. To me, that's pretty characteristic of terrorist groups using civilians as as shields, if you will. How difficult is it for the IDF or Israeli forces to to penetrate the the areas where Hamas is without some of the mass casualties of civilians that that could be happening uh, if they take that approach that you just mentioned Russia taking in Ukraine? Yeah, the, the Ukraine, I'm sorry, Ukraine, Israel has to be careful, though. They can't follow the Russian path. They can't just say, all right, we're going to obliterate every building and kill everybody that we see. Uh, you know, that's kind of Russia's MO. That's, that's kind of their agenda. But Israel, if they're going to keep the support of the West and keep the Arab and Muslim population from exploding, they can't do that. So even though it would be a much more costly operation, they have to find the balance between taking care of their troops and lowering their risk, but also they cannot just wantonly kill a bunch of people. And you, you, for sh- I don't have any insider knowledge, but I just almost assume that Hamas is, is set up in a, par- or a headquarters either inside or below the hospital because they know that if Israel attacks it, it will be a, a tremendous information operations victory. Hamas because you you saw what happened this past weekend with more than a million people protesting in Turkey (laughs) against Israel and for Hamas, and that's just where things are at right now because of the the suffering of a lot of the Palestinians. Now imagine if now then they go and and just kill hundreds or thousands more, especially if they intentionally target a hospital. Last time there was a big issue with the hospital. It was turned out to be uh, an errant uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket that fell in the a parking lot of that first hospital. But if it turns out that Israel actually did target one and there's thousands of casualties, you know, they could literally lose the support of the West and they could inflame the, the, the regional population of the Arabs up so much that they could actually gain more enemies and more targets. And so they just can't do that. You know, I remember in, in our past conversations, we've talked about conflicts in the future. We're going to be so predicated on cyber warfare or, or, uh, the 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 war on information. And I think we're seeing a lot of that play out here where Hamas is using select information or select pieces of video as a way to form an overall narrative. How difficult is that battle on that front for countries like Israel and then to a certain extent, the United States by proxy? Well, look, I mean, if we needed any clarification, just look at the war going on in, in Russia and Ukraine, where they're taking all of that to the extraordinary heights, where both sides put out all kinds of narrative information with partial truth, sometimes complete deception, sometimes a mix of, of those in different directions, all for the purpose of trying to gain international uh, adherence to their side and to make their side look right. And, you know, most of it is some combination of deception and you know, limited truth on on both sides. And look, it, Israel's no different. 
Hamas is no different. They're going to manipulate information to the maximum extent that they can. And I see it play it out because I, I always watch regional media. Uh, I watch U.S. media. I watch European media. And, and to see the different way it's being per, portrayed uh, is just remarkable. Very often the same data, the same things that happen on the ground are being interpreted in such radically different ways uh, that you know the, the information ops itself is having a huge impact because the audiences that want to believe this story will cling to it. The audiences that want to believe the other one will believe, will agree to it. But take that, that uh, hospital bombing. Mm-hmm. Now, Israel came out and showed in a very forensic way how this there's no way that this was their rocket. And, and I've, I viewed it, and I'm always looking at things from the ground truth, and I don't take anybody's word for anything unless I see it. And it very clearly to me, it was not uh, an Israeli rocket. It would have looked differently. It would have been targeted differently. Uh, almost certainly it was. That was all out there for anyone to see. But the Arab side still to this day is convinced that it was an Israeli rocket, and they won't believe anything different. And even in some of these other cases to where Israel is not using precision-guided weapons and selected targeting like they say in their, in, in the, you know, publicly, you see they're just leveling entire apartment buildings, entire city blocks just leveled. That's mm-hmm. not surgical anything, and yet – People who want to believe that still believe it to this day that they're different, and that's just part of how it's going to work. I got just about a minute left here. How how what's the worry about other groups? Uh, you know, the Hezbollahs of the world, other uh, uh, sympathizers to Hamas when they get involved in this. How 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 much of a concern is that? I, it's a lot of concern to me because look, we've got our troops in Iraq and Syria that are just huge vulnerability for us that. There's already plenty of, of Islamic uh, radical groups in the area, whether they're aligned with Iran or not, that want to attack us. And now then they see what Israel's doing. Well, they can't do anything to Israel, but they know that we have troops just sitting out there, so they could launch off into them. And, and one of these attacks could finally succeed and kill Americans. Now then there's going to be huge pressure on the White House, not just to strike back against those groups, but to strike Iran, who they will assume was behind it, whether they were or not. That's what the assumption will be. That could draw us into a war we don't need to fight. Mm. If Hezbollah attacks into the north, uh, you know, after Israel like you sure. know, gets really involved, that could expand it in. Then other uh, fighters in the region. You had yeah. Turkey for crying out well, loud. I, I th- and I think we're starting to see some of that. Unfortunately, I'm up against it. Uh, Daniel Davis, always good talking with you. Thank you. Thanks, Got to take a break. More coming up next on JR Afternoon. All right, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. All right, so you know, we talked on Friday following the, the mass shootings out in Maine. You know, I don't, I don't have an answer to, to the gun issue. Our politicians certainly don't seem like they have an answer to the gun issue because more laws don't seem to be helping. Um, the infrastructure that's in place, like, you know, if you're institutionalized and you have weapons, those should be confiscated. That wasn't done in this case. You had officers, according to CNN, alerted to the fact that this guy was potentially a danger to himself and or to others. And they tried to get in contact with him. But, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out and you got to move on like they never were able to contact with him, get in contact with him. And so. It feels like we do have guardrails in place to potentially stop a horrific event from happening like it happened in Maine. But those things aren't necessarily being followed. And it it does add frustration to 
police officers who are really good at their jobs, who really value the authority that they have to protect people. You know, like Mike Bouchard, they will investigate anything, big, small, doesn't matter if it's a threat or if it's somebody who's alleging something could happen. You go check it out. I don't I don't know why exactly in this in the the story that CNN is reporting in the days leading up or the weeks leading up to the shooting. There was somebody who said, look, you got to get this guy checked out here. Something ain't right. And police tried and never made contact with him. So I don't know what the answers are, but I know that we have to start from this moment on. We got to start from 2023 and and try to find solutions in not only the the long term, but in the immediate. One of the folks that we had lined up today uh, having trouble connecting with him was Kevin Thomas. He's the founder of KT Security Solutions, and he's got something called a rapid access safe room. Now, these have become more and more popular in places like schools. And it is essentially a room that folds into the wall. It's on a track system. And you grab a handle and pull it out. And as soon as you pull it out, it folds out from the wall, creates a bulletproof room so that in the case of school, students can go in, teacher can go in, it locks from the inside, and and you're in a safe environment or as safe as an environment as you could be in immediately. Now, does that answer every question? No. But you know what? Somebody's trying. Somebody's out there trying to find solutions now to right now. How do we stop this now? And again, that's not legislation. That's not money going towards mental health. It's right now. And it's it's very cool because, you know, in the case of schools, you know, this is it's I mean, you can decorate it like you're in a classroom. Brian, you, you've seen it um, like it's a whiteboard. So it's not it's not scary, it's not ominous looking, it's not you know, it's it's something that you can use as a classroom accessory, but but it's also incredibly functional and, and can protect lives. I yes, think it's very and cool. out of the way, not there, so it's constantly hovering right. over you. Yeah, you just throw a couple of desks yeah. out of way and pull the handle. And this is this is I think my fault. I miscommunicated with uh Kevin Thomas, the nah, founder. That's fine. Well, we'll I'm gonna try to get him on tomorrow. Okay. Because this is a very cool thing. I'm gonna post it also on the WGR Twitter page. Cool. The video that you showed me. Because I think this is something it's something. Yes. It's and something. If if you're a parent and you I think you're the one who said this to me it would give you a little peace of mind. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, again, is it is it fail-safe? No, because if your kid's not in the classroom, well, you know. Right, yes. So, but. no, is it perfect? Of course not. And but if you put one of these in every room or in the lunchroom. Could you, put one, be... could you put one of these in a bowling alley? Could you put one of these in a bar? We could put one in here with us. I mean, you could. you literally could put one in anywhere. Now, again, is that the type of world we want to live in? Nope. But let's deal in reality. Again, is this a, is this the 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 cure all that we're looking for? Of course not, but it is something, and and this is the kind of stuff I'm interested in. This is the kind of stuff that I feel like will 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 cut down on these types of shootings if people know that there are fail safes in place. Then it may, maybe they are deterred from doing something. 
and there's to me this is not any different than putting uh, metal detectors in places. Those metal detectors would be, are more obvious than this is. I'll tell you what. I was very anti metal detectors in schools. Only not not anti, but I I felt like you know these are kids, and that's a weird thing to get used to. I flipped on that. I mean, to me, whatever is the safest way to go about right. this, that's what I'm about. Absolutely. And and yes, that is different. Yes, that is something that, you know, if you're in middle school or if you're, you know, 15, 16, sophomore, junior in college, high school, it's weird. Yep. You've went through your whole life without it. And if people go to WJR Radio on Twitter, okay, I've got the video posted there, this safe room. It's called a rapid access safe room. Yeah, it's cool. It is very cool. It's cool. It's just something else. And so, I will do my best to get him out of So mind. I just think that we need to operate from the, the the baseline of now and how do we find solutions. Is this an answer? No, but it could be a potential solution in certain cases. 800-859-0957. August is in Milford. What's up, August? Hey, guys. Great show as hey, usual. Thanks. Um, yeah, I feel so bad that we have to address so many of these issue, different issues. Mm-hmm. And it is sad. It is. And unfortunately, people are afraid. And fear is a huge motivator, not in a good way, in a negative way. Mm-hmm. So what I would encourage people to do is be thankful, be gracious, be kind, be loving, have hope. If you have hope, you have faith. If you have hope and faith, you have love and get engaged. You have to get involved now. There are things happening now that never happened before, not in the same way. And we all have to participate and do the best we can. We're all brothers and sisters. You know, but August, I agree. But here's the other thing, too. And I, you tell me what you think about this. I just I, I don't know that we need to be necessarily I, we being scared is one thing, but being realistic is another. And I think we need, I think it's time that we're realistic about where we're at. Nobody wants this. No, everybody wishes that we didn't have these types of incidents. I'm done with hopes and wishes. Let's figure out a way to address it. And then one, then we can move forward. Then we can find some other ways. August, appreciate it. Rod in Plymouth. What's up, Rod? Well, you know, that, that uh, rapid response safe room sounds like a really good idea, especially knowing that it's there and, and it's accessible. However, you know, with the new iPhones, and, and I'm surprised Apple, Google, the, the communication companies, telecommunications, hasn't come up with an app, an emergency app, a multiple-use emergency app where when there's a problem, and I'm talking rapid response, that everyone is notified within seconds of three of these cell phones going off to triangulate that position. Mm-hmm. Cops would know. Teachers would know. Students would know. Bowlers would know. Everyone in a five-mile area would know. Yep. It's just an application. Uh, that would be cost-effective if anything would. Time would save lives. Yeah. No, good stuff, Rod. Appreciate it. Frank in Hillsdale. What's up, Frank? How you doing, man? Thanks good. for the show. You got it. Yeah, you know, we, we keep talking about the people falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. The evidence is there, but nothing's done. Right. We spend billions, billions of dollars overseas, and you name it, and we have money. Let's let's put these uh, safe, like they're talking about, you know, a safe room or whatever. Let's do something. Uh, it's definitely nothing's changed. It seems like 
if we always get these reports, just like this dude who killed 18 people, mm-hmm. he's a, he, he was a nutcase, but what are we doing about it? It's almost like, you know, if, if, if we can answer these problems, then it, it's, it's almost like someone wants to de- take the guns from the American people. The, the more you can scare them, the more you can say, look, look, it happened again. Yeah, I don't, man. Frank, I don't know that anybody, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't subscribe to that. To me, that's a non-starter. I think we're too far past that. But at, at, at some point, we need to start, we need to start being realistic. And I, I think, again, do we want to add these in all these places, in, 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 in uh, you know, bowling alleys or restaurants or hotels or anywhere you go? No, of course not. You want them in malls? No. But let's start being realistic here. Well, let, let's start operating under the assumption that, we're all adults. This is a tough subject, and we need to find answers. And and unfortunately, the, the ones that have been bandied about just haven't cut it at this point, quite frankly. Uh, Frank, good stuff. Appreciate the call. Got to take a break. We're talking to Lomas Brown next on JR Afternoon. All right, we got a big game tonight. It's very exciting. My next guest knows something, a little something about big games. He played in a lot of them. He's a Super Bowl champ, seven-time Pro Bowler, all-pro uh, a member of the Lions for a long time. He's also the color voice for the Detroit Lions radio network. He is Lomas Brown. Lo, good to talk with you. That's great talking with you guys. How y'all doing? Uh, Lo, it's it's a very exciting night. Uh, you're not only were you named uh, just a couple of weeks ago the Grand Marshal of America's Thanksgiving Parade, presented by Gardner White, but tonight very special night for you. You will be inducted into the Pride of the Lions, which is the Hall of Fame for this team. How, how, first of all, let's back it up a little bit. When you found out, what was the 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 feeling for you? What what, what were you what were you thinking? Yeah, uh, well, like I tell everybody, you know, Rob Wood came up to the booth, and you know, he said in a mellow tone voice, you know, he was like, you know, big fella. Every time I come up here. I feel like I'm taking your place. And I'm thinking, I'm like, wait a minute, is this man about to fire me over the air? You know, and it was just how he was sounding. And he was like, well, you know, I have a surprise for you, so I want you to pay attention to the uh, big screen. And that's when I seen everything. And it was just kind of overwhelming. I, I, I had no idea they were doing that. And, you know, it was just great. And I'm just honored and happy and you know, it's it's great. I think the biggest part for me is that we got so many alumni that came in uh, for this game. And just to be able to share this with these guys, the guys that I played with and some guys that I didn't play with, you know, it's a great honor. So I'm I'm really thrilled. You know, you look at the Chris Spielmans, Alec Harris, uh, Herman Moore, Lombardi, Night Train, Bobby Lane. I mean, Barry's there. There are some really, some of the best to ever do it. Uh, up there what what does that mean then to have Lomas Brown's name amongst the the other all-time greats in this organization yeah just an honor I mean you talk about guys like Jason Hansen that's up there and Dick Knight Train Lane and Joe Smith and just some of the names that are up there and just remind to go up there alongside those guys man it's going to be something special and you know, I got a good feeling that I won't be the only guy from the 90s teams that get up there because I yeah. played with some great, great players, a lot of deserving players that deserve to be up there. But I'm just happy I get the opportunity to go up there and be number 20 to get up there um, at Ford Field. 
Uh, Lo, I, I talked to Marie Osborne earlier, and she told me that there was a, a moment in your life when you were going to be an accomplished trombone player. <laughs> and I, I, I thank God that Lomas was able to pivot. Uh, because I'm sure you were a tremendous trombone player, uh, but you were not, not only a tremendous football player, but you're a great you're a great guy. I, I I'm yeah. so excited for you. You you still I got really the old slide, by the way. You still got it. You know what? I don't. And somebody asked me would I take lessons again, and you know I might do that. I might just I might try to do that because I had some fun times on the trombone, and like you say, I kind of outgrew. The, uh, the trombone, according to my uh, high school principal. So he decided to put me in football. Well, uh, aside from our devilishly good looks, that is something that you and I have in common. I, I played trombone, too. One, not one very good, but I did play. Uh, hey, it takes special talent to play the trombone. I, I love it, Lo. Your lips to God's ears. Hey, um, this is a big game tonight. Um, this is one where it's a bounce-back game. Obviously, they did not play very well in Baltimore. But this is this is a coming home. You got the the crowd in the mix. Lomas is going up in the ring, and and now this team's got this team's got to show up, and they're going to miss some pretty key people. But this is one where they got to come and put a good game plan together. Yeah, we have to. You know, like you said, it's a bounce back game. Uh, Baltimore did a great job against us last week. Uh, they kind of you know they kind of showed some of our deficiencies. They really did. Hopefully, with a good week of practice, uh, I know Dan Campbell and that coaching staff, they've made the adjustments that they have to make uh, so that won't happen again. But, you know, you give Baltimore a lot of credit, and, you know, hopefully, like I said, we got a a lot of young guys on our team, and they're not carrying that baggage from the past. Mm -hmm. So I think these guys should be able to bounce back tonight, hopefully, It'll be a good good showing for the national audience so the people around the world could get a chance to see how good this Detroit Lion team is. Lo, I know we talk about all the time that, that you know, the NFL all, all, almost seems like the the momentum exists in the games. And then once the game's over, you got to find a way to get ready and go play the next week. Does that – does a game like last week, how does that affect – a team going into their next game? Is there lingering yeah. a- after after effects, or are you able to move past it? How, what's the feeling of a team after a loss like that? Yeah, something like that, you kind of want to wash it. Yeah. You're going to go in and you're going to make corrections, and it's, gonna be, it's not going to be a good meeting. Believe me, I know those guys didn't look forward to the meeting last week after that game because they never are good meetings. But then you look at, you have to uh, look at what you did wrong, you have to correct those mistakes, and that's what it is. I think the great players, the great teams, they make that mistake once, and they don't do it again. And I think that's what Danny Campbell and the coaching staff are trying to get accomplished uh, with these guys. They want to make sure, yeah, if you make a mistake, let's not make sure we make that mistake a second or a third time. So, you know, I think with our team, and like I say, as hungry as this team is, is and with our fans, Man, I'm telling you, man, our fans are the best. So with them being there, I know these guys want to have a good showing tonight. So that's all I'm looking forward to, these guys putting their best foot forward and having a great game tonight. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, you know, just thinking about things. I, I was happy the bye week wasn't this week. I was yes. happy that we were able to get back on the field a week later and get and get to business because – 
two weeks of that lingering around, I feel like would have been a bit of a bummer, maybe a bit of a momentum loss. But but I think them getting back to it tonight is good. I mean, you know, you look at the injury report. Dave Montgomery is going to be out. Jonah Jackson is going to be out once again. Frank Ragnow is going to be up for up in the air. I think he was doubtful the last time I saw. But but this O line continues to be one where they can find some answers in different ways. Do you expect the same thing today? I do. I mean, this team has been that way. If you think about it, look at Brian Branch missing time and C.J. Gardner missing time and, you know, some of the other players, even on the defensive side of the ball, they have missed time. And yet and still, what happens is it's the next man up mentality. It comes into play. And I think those guys have been doing a great job. The guys that have to step in, Congratulations! Uh, I know it's going to be a really exciting night for you. You've earned every you've earned it every step of the way. We're happy for I you, sure man. Congratulations! That, man. I yeah, sure you got appreciate it. you saying that. I appreciate it. it. Means a lot. Yeah, you got it. Uh, Lomas Brown, enjoy the night, Low. Take care. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Let's get back on the uh, the winning ways here. I think the Lions do it tonight. Uh, all right, it's going to do it for us, Mitch Alman, the crew. Coming up next, right here on WJR. Have yourself a wonderful rest of the day. See you tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a good.